this room until the day you die, you're going to deal with some junk. There's personality traits in you that, okay, they relate somewhat to someone else. And so you might look at that person and think, well, they're living for God so good, and you're thinking they're all holy, and so it makes you feel guilty because you're not as good as them. Listen, you don't know who they are. You don't know the secret battles they're going through. You don't know the anxiety attacks they might be. You think they're the most confident person. You're like, man, I wish I could be more confident. But behind the scene, that person's not that confident at all. You know, every one of us have learned to put on clothing to help cover the persons in us that's afraid to show. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. I'm so excited about this morning. I've got a dear, dear friend. Matter of fact, he got saved just literally a few months before I met him. And I hadn't been saved a whole lot longer. Uh, I was a little country and he was a little rock and roll. How many think your pastor might be just a little bit country? Some of you just think, man, I got, I threw up on my mouth. Yeah, okay, I'm just, I'm sorry. Can you say that in church, Ray? I just, okay, sorry. You come to this church very long, there is no telling what you will hear across this pulpit. It will be godly, it will be truth, but it could be strange at times. We met each other. He was leading a Christian rock and roll band, and I was leading a Christian country rock band. And we we kind of met on the corner of, what, 44th Street, McDowell? Is that something like that? And he was jamming out, and then I walked up there and, and showed him how to do it. And, okay, maybe not. But we have known each other for so many years, and he has become one of the dearest, truest friends. He's uh, part of Victorious Life Christian Center. He's been a part of it for 20-plus years. He is on our board. Uh, so if you're here and you happen to want to know some questions about government and stuff, I'll put him on the spot, and you can take him over in the corner and say, hey, is that guy really as strange as he sounds? And he will tell you only good things. Let's welcome Pastor Mitch Thurman as he comes to share God's word this morning. now i want to try you know my verizon commercial can you hear me now can you hear me now praise god it's good to see you all here today that's a pleasure like pastor tim said we met i was 19 years old and uh, just i got saved two months before i graduated high school i received jesus christ 
Um, for some of you who don't know me, I was re- actually raised in an atheist home. Didn't even believe there was a God. And uh, we were, my family split up when I was young. My mom was really heavy into drugs and alcohol and junk like that. And uh, ended up with my grandparents at six years old. My grandpa was an atheist. Didn't even believe there was a God. And yet, uh, irony of irony, three of the five boys raised by grandpa ended up preachers. Now, how about, how about that, huh? Come on, somebody give the Lord a, a hand. <clears throat> God's amazing. My oldest brother, Fred, pastors in Madeira, California still. My younger brother, Bob, pioneered a few churches, but now his health is a little out of it. He can't seem to, he's not able to pastor, but still a powerful man of God. And uh, we're just grateful to, to see what God has done in our lives. And uh, my grandfather, my atheist grandfather, you ready for this? Just before, he, two weeks, and he didn't know he was going to pass away. Two weeks before he passed away, he called my brother over, received Jesus as Savior. And his, his words were, there has to be a God to change you boys the way you've changed. Because by that time, all five Thurman boys were born again. Amen. My mother received Christ. My father received Christ. My grandma Grandpa, everybody, I'm telling you just an amazing story of God's mercy and his grace in a life. Because us five boys, we were taught to not be nice. And uh, we were the family that other neighbors were wishing would move. I tell people this only to show you how awesome God is. Our, I remember one Christmas that clearly my dad and grandpa chasing each other around the yard with guns. Yeah, and it was pretty exciting as a child. Really looked forward to Christmas. <laughs> Praise God. But so God has been really good. So we met Pastor Tim just uh, not long after that. Now this beautiful lady sitting up here in my front row here is my wife, Jeannie. Amen. And she's, she, is, she is still my high school sweetheart. We met in high school, 15 years old. I asked her to dance at a dance and wouldn't let anybody else dance with her. And uh, then I chased her for, oh, she made me chase her almost a year and uh, just tried to pursue her until finally she couldn't hold out any longer. My cuteness went over. And she, uh, she gave in, praise the Lord. And uh, then we both ended up receiving the Lord. And as you could tell, we got married and just been on a preaching, been preaching the gospel, pioneering churches since we were 24 years old. 24, we went out. Yep. And uh, Pastor Tim and I have been kind of following each other all over, Arizona, Texas. He didn't go with me to England, though. That was the only place he didn't go. If I would have stayed there longer, he might have ended up, we, one of us might have ended up there together. But uh, then we both ended up in California together, and it's just been pretty cool watching how God has done what he's doing, amen, around the world. So to see what's happening here at Victorious Life, I don't know if you guys realize what a great blessing, what a miracle has already transpired in the city of Flagstaff. Do you guys recognize what you've got here? Amen. This is a move of God. This, this is an amazing miracle. Pioneer churches are not normally grow as fast as this one is. You guys have a destiny upon your life. There's a reason God has raised up victorious life in the city of Flagstaff. Amen. Come on. And you're not here by accident. And if you're here today and you have come for the first time, we want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here. 
Amen. Come on, church. Aren't we glad? We are glad you're here. If you don't know Jesus today as your Savior, and if that doesn't really make sense, I'll tell you, I know why you're here, though. The Bible says nobody comes to Jesus lest the Father draws him. And the reason you're here this morning is because Father God is drawing you to him, to his son Jesus so that you can be born again, be part of his kingdom. Pastor has probably said this, but, you know, this is one of the very few sayings I made up that he uses. How do you know? Your pastor has a lot of, we call them Pastor Timisms. But he, he that, those are what you hear on the radio all the time. But uh, there's one I, I, I heard from God years ago that Jesus, he didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. That's what he came. I mean, you can give the Lord a clap. I'm, I'm a type A personality, so Rowdy's good. You can do that. Don't let this calm hairdo fool you. I only did this because he made me wear a suit. I usually spike my hair. It looks crazy. I'm trying to look, you know, nice and mature for you. Shoot, man. Next, next time I come, I'm having dreads in my beard, man. Just, uh, no, 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 no. Like I said, I'm a type A, so if you get rowdy, it's not going to offend anybody. We're going to be glad. But there's a destiny upon you guys. Let's take a moment. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're just going to worship God a few moments more. I was going to sing this morning a song I've written, but then I started thinking, if I sing it, I won't get to preach as long, and I'm a long preacher. We pastor in San Jose, California, so I figure as often I can get those folks out to church, I'm going to give them all I can. Praise God, because there's about a million people in San Jose. I don't know if you guys know that. Uh, we just hit a million. Wow. A lot of folks, huh? A few more than Flagstaff. Father, we love you. We pray for your presence just to fill every word right now. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. For Lord, you said in Proverbs 20, verse 12, that the hearing ear and the seeing eye only come through you. So we ask you, Lord, for you said if we ask, we shall receive. If we seek, we'll find. If we knock, it'll be open. So we're asking that you would open our eyes and our ears today. I ask you to help me as the speaker today to bring the counsel that you have given me, that you have placed within my spirit, that each word would come forth as an oracle of God, that it would accomplish what it is sent to do according to Isaiah 55, that it would accomplish what is sent and it would profit in the place that it's been sent. Let the word prosper in each and every heart. Young, old, middle-aged, whatever, where we're at in life, broken, half-broken, partially broken, wherever we're at, Father, speak to us today. We love you. We confess our need for you. And we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. And all of God's people said, yeah. amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. I still kind of want to sing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to my wife. She's smarter than me. And uh, praise the Lord. I want to preach a message to you this morning entitled, Faith. Abraham, this is a deep theology message, so you ready? Faith, Abraham, and 1995 baseball. Because you do know that baseball is spiritual, right? For those of you who don't know that. But uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about this, and hopefully it will help you. One of the things I've noticed in all the years of ministry is that we are messed up. We're broken people. One of the saddest things is in the church is when people don't realize, though after they come to church, still how messed up they really are. I will say it again. One of the saddest things I've seen as I've pastored is people who come to church for a while and after living for God for a little bit, 
they forget really how broken and how messed up they are, how much they need God. What a deep honor it is. Do you guys realize, do we all realize what an honor it is to be able to come and sit in a place we call the house of God today? That for whatever reason, out of the six billion people on this earth, for whatever reason, us, most of us in here already, our eyes have been opened and we have received the born again life through Jesus Christ. We are now new creations. Old things are passing away, amen? And all things become new. Do we, sometimes we forget though how messed up we are. How messed up this world really is. How dark, how, how really broken our lives are. And because of this, sometimes we don't love God back in the correct way. We're not able to give him all that we could. Some of us though, it's the opposite. It's not that we don't see how broken we are. Some of us, another sad and just as equally sad is those who come to church and because of how broken they are, feel disqualified to love God. They feel disqualified to worship. They feel disqualified to serve, to do something with their life, to be fruitful. And so they just, they don't move forward. They kind of get stuck in a rut, in a place of darkness, in a place of loneliness. And yet that is not the will of God. And I wish I could tell you that you guys, that after getting saved, that you'll be free from all your sin and all your problems and all your brokenness. But I've lived for God since I was 18 years old. And I'm gonna tell you, God's still working on me. I'm still broken. This week is... Pastor Tim, I don't know if you guys know that some of you do, but this week my wife had a stroke just this week. And I don't know if you can see, she don't look stroking to me. She's, she might be, she got stroke and broke, but she's healed already by the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But see, I'm, I'm a guy, when I was raised in that home I was, I'm telling you guys, I like... I, I, I have some issues that God had to help me with. Amen. That's all I'm going to tell you. Just we'll leave it at that so I can actually preach and you're not all disturbed thinking that poor kid, man. Now that explains everything. Amen. But, but, the, but the reality is we, we, are, we are really hurting people. We don't know it all the time. And God, God wants to take us to a place where we are fruitful. And he wants the broken to see those that know that you're broken. There's uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says that to lay aside every sin, doesn't it? And every weight that so easily beset us. Everybody say easily. You know, I know we don't like to admit this, but everybody in this room has some kind of stuff. Everybody deals in, as you live for God, I was talking to one of your elders today, your council members, and he was telling me as he was walking in how his life at one point was so huge. And as he put God first, how God was prospering and then, They started thinking it was all them and they left God beside and things fell apart. You know what, guys, we're all susceptible. I wish I could tell you that you'd be perfect. Come on, now listen to me. Before you go to heaven. But I'm gonna tell you this, you're gonna have to learn how to be perfect in faith in Christ first. And only through true faith in him and him alone can you possibly move forward and truly see a life that will stay fruitful all your life, no matter where you're at, where you can bear fruit, as the scripture says, even in your old age. Because I don't want to fall somewhere after living for God for a few years. How about you? 
I don't want to be, you know, one year praising God, then the next year, you know, kind of angry at God. I want to be able to love him. I want to serve the Lord all the way to the end. I want my life to say these simple words, Jesus is Lord. And I, the problem with that is if you would have known me as a young man, as my wife did, I don't know, this poor lady, no wonder she had a stroke. She had to work with me all my life. But I was a troubled, troubled person. I had a lot of brokenness in me because my childhood, things that happened, I mean, abuses, guys, I don't, I won't even talk to you about, but I was a broken person. And I knew how to hide them, though. I was a type A person. I could hide them. The problem is, how many know problems come out as you move on in life? You can try to stuff them down. You could try to suppress them and hide them. But I'm going to tell you, uh, septic sores show themselves sooner or later. Diseases will show themselves sooner or later. Problems will come up. How many could say amen? They just will. And I wish to God that that wasn't true, but it is true. And we need to learn how to stand in Christ. We need to learn how to move forward so that we're fruitful all our lives. Now, I've got this thing by a guy named Stephen Altrog. And Stephen Altrog, I don't know who he is, but I want you to hear it. And it takes a little bit to read it. So please listen with me. And I'm going to try to read through it quickly. He says, we Christians love to encourage people to get out of their comfort zone. In church, we tell everyone, greet someone they don't know. If someone is nervous about doing evangelism, we become the Jesus version of a head coach, trying to get them psyched up. Get out of your comfort zone. Worship leaders are always exhorting people, get up, move, dance, clap, shout, be happy. If someone doesn't like going to a small group, we slap them on the back and say cheerfully, oh, it'll be good for you. How do I know these things? Because I've said and done them all. I've been the Jesus head coach, the worship cheerleader, the backslapper. But lately I've been thinking that maybe we need to stop encouraging people to get out of their comfort zone. In fact, maybe we need to encourage people to operate within their comfort zone more I realize that to some, this may sound like selfish heresy, but first let me explain. I am an introvert. Now, how many of you have ever heard opposites attract? Okay, I am am type AAA. My wife is absolutely the opposite. God gave me her to balance me. Amen. Otherwise, you guys would be even crazy right now. He said, I am an introvert. This doesn't mean I don't like people. But it does mean I'm refreshed by solitude and I am drained by extended times with people. For all you introverts, you can say amen right now. It also means I'm more prone to quiet reflection, wrestling with ideas, reading a good book, spending time with just a few close friends. There is nothing morally superior or inferior about being introverted. My friends Eric and Dom are classic extroverts. They have a big capacity for people, are awesome about making everyone feel included and welcome, and are always cheerful. I love those guys. There are some things in Scripture that are crystal clear. These are the three he puts. Number one, God must be worshipped. Number two, fellowship with the saints is an absolute necessity. Come on. And evangelism must take place. These are non-negotiable principles. Every Christian must do these. What is negotiable, however, is how these principles are practiced. I would humbly suggest 
that many activities that take place in the church tend to be biased towards extroverts. Do you know why that is? Because most pastors are extroverts. That's, so it's just natural. We always try to make everybody as you know always wired out like we are. Talking to lots of people on Sunday, cold contact, evangelism to complete strangers, loud worship, and small groups or activities that are much better suited for somebody with an extroverted personality. And these things aren't necessarily wrong, but I think we need to make sure we don't assume that somebody is more spiritual based on their participation. The beauty of the body of Christ, the beauty of the body of Christ is that it's made up of all sorts of people, all sorts of personalities. Introverted people and extroverted people both need to worship God with all their heart, soul, and mind. An extroverted person may gravitate more towards loud and outward expressions of worship, while an introverted person may gravitate more towards a quiet and humble reverence. If you ever came to our church, you'd definitely see I'm an extrovert. We are rowdy. But both are appropriate. They are both God-honoring, and both are necessary in the church. Both types of worship are commended in the Scripture. Introverts and extroverts both need to evangelize. An extrovert may excel at sharing the gospel with lots of complete strangers. An introvert may excel at developing deep relationships with just a few people, unbelievers, and sharing the gospel with them over time. Both are good, God-honoring, and necessary in every church. Come on, somebody. Both types of evangelism are commended in Scripture. Introverts and extroverts both need fellowship. An extrovert can thrive in large group fellowships where everybody's speaking and sharing their thoughts and laying hands and praying for each other's needs. An introvert will probably thrive in a small group fellowship with one, two, three people. Both are good, God-honoring, and necessary in the church. Both types of fellowship are commended in Scripture. We need to encourage one another to pursue God, listen, within the boundaries of our God-given personalities. Extroverts don't assume that someone doesn't love Jesus just because they don't jump up and down and give hugs to everyone they see. Introverts don't assume somebody doesn't love Jesus just because they don't like solitude and reading. Extroverts don't try to make everybody like you. Introverts don't try to make everybody like you. All of us have areas to grow But God isn't interested in making millions of spiritual clones. Sometimes extroverts sing melody and introverts sing harmony and vice versa. The differences in personality types point to our wonderfully and creative God. The power of the gospel is demonstrated when people of widely different personality types come together and serve, worship the Lord and honor the Lord together. Let's make room for everyone in our church. Amen. Now our text today is Romans chapter 3, verses 25 through 28. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Did we get up there right? People are made right with God when they what? That Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. 
This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Did everybody hear that? This shows that God was being fair when he didn't punish those way back. In other words, that he had a place, you could say, of holding place before Jesus came and shed his blood. Because God gave everybody a chance to have salvation on this earth. For those of you who are wondering, I guarantee you, God makes a way for everyone to know. Now, here we go. Ready? For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he, every say he, declares sinners to be right in his sight when they work really, really hard for him. When they try to fit in the church. Huh? When they're perfect and are doing everything just right. When they sing better than others. When they wear the right suit. Hello? Huh? He declares sinners to be right in the sight when they go to church more than other people. When they give more tithe than others. He declares sinners to be right in his sight when they what? In Jesus. Now catch this. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? This is one of the key elements. If you want to really be fruitful in your life, please listen to this scripture. Can you boast that you have done anything to be accepted by God? Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So, we are, every say made right, because made means past tense. Hello? We are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Is everybody with me here? Now, according to science, do you know, science likes to put us into categories. How many have noticed that? I, I don't know how to explain it all. I'm not a real scientist, but they, we all have different personalities and traits. But here's the reality. Even though we all have different traits, we all have different ways we were raised. So no matter how some of us might line up, introverts, extroverts, some of us might be, you know, uh, melancholic, some of us might be more bold. The reality is, though, we're all broken. We all have different things in our lives that have taken us down different roads and different things. Some of us are going to deal with things differently. I, I hurt in my heart when I go into churches and I see broken people who are afraid to love God because they know they're still broken. And they don't feel safe to tell people about it. They don't know how to talk to people and say, you know what, I'm dealing with this. This is real to me. I can't seem to overcome it. I've tried to overcome this addiction, but I can't overcome it. I've tried. I've prayed. I've read my Bible. I've went to Bible study. I've tried, but I don't know what to do. And so they sit in shame, sitting in a church, and they'll sit with their heads down. They're afraid to really sing because in their minds they think, God does not want to hear what they're about to say. But I want to tell you today, that's an absolute lie of the devil. That's an absolute lie. And yet, I go to church to church. I get to preach at many churches a year in many places, and it hurts me. I was just at a conference up in Texas not too long ago, and and God had me the whole time there just teaching grace to these poor people, trying to help them to see that they were saved by grace, by faith. It is a gift. It's not of works. 
Because for whatever reason, that congregation, they couldn't, they were, there was just like a heaviness upon them. They wanted to praise God. They wanted to serve God. But they didn't feel that they were righteous enough to have the right to do it. In this room, until the day you die, you're going to deal with some junk. There's personality traits in you that, okay, they relate somewhat to someone else. And so you might look at that person and think, well, they're living for God so good, and you're thinking they're all holy, and so it makes you feel guilty because you're not as good as them. Listen, you don't know who they are. You don't know the secret battles they're going through. You don't know the anxiety attacks they might be. You think they're the most confident person. You're like, man, I wish I could be more confident. But behind the scene, that person's not that confident at all. You know, every one of us have learned to put on clothing to help cover the persons in us that's afraid to show. We've learned to cover things up. Like today, I'm wearing a coat and a vest because Pastor made me wear slacks. And I, and I, I agree with him because up until three years ago, I wore slacks, but I had cancer three years ago. And when I went through the treatments, I sweat so bad, I destroyed all my suits. And so then I didn't wear suits after that. I just wore jeans because I figured out nobody, you know. But then I I started wearing this again. But you know why I wear a vest and a jacket? Because I gained 22 pounds during those treatments. And I found out by wearing a vest over, you don't see my belly. We all cover up stuff. Is everybody following me here? We all have some junk in the trunk. You know what I'm saying? We all have some stuff hidden in our closets. And I don't care, sometimes you'll see someone and they'll act so holy. But listen, guys, those of you who are acting like something you're not, the only reason you do that is you're afraid. You're afraid you've been taught in church that's the way you're supposed to act, that that's what people expect from you. But I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to act that way here. One of the reasons I'll preach at this church, the reason I'm on the board of directors, because I know this pastor personally. And I know you don't have to act something you're not here, that you can be loved and know that you're safe. Come on, somebody. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. Because he's our Savior. Amen. We are all wounded, broken, disqualified from God's perfection. We are all disqualified, honestly. Nobody's qualified to be a child of God. So God made a way to qualify us through himself. Is everybody following me here? None of us are qualified. Listen to this in Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It is desperately wicked, and who really knows it? Did everybody read that? It's, it is deceitful and desperately wicked, and who really knows how bad it is? Nobody really knows. See, inside of every person, there is the potential of really, really bad things. Am I correct? But... There's also the potential for really, really God things. There's a potential to be better, to go further, to live a life that is amazing. But we have to be able to deal with the reality of the ugly in us. We have to not be afraid. Because if we are afraid to deal with the reality of the ugly in us, we cannot move on for the God that wants to be formed in us. The Jesus being formed in us. And we won't shine that well if we're not willing to just, you know, be real. We're going to have to understand that. This is Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. 
Foolishness is even bound in the heart of a child. That word foolishness is also in the original Hebrew, rebellion. Rebellion. They want to rebel. They want to fight against authority. Have you noticed that, I don't know about you, even though I got older, that was still in my heart. Man, we, how many of when you get mad at God, when you feel God's asking you too much, when you feel like God's putting too much on you, or he's asking you to change, and you don't think you could actually put that away, have you ever noticed the tendency is to get mad at the one who saved us? The one who shed it. We, we have the tendency, instead of thanking him for salvation and falling to our knees and say, I'm so grateful you love me, that you bought me, that you made me righteous through your blood, even though I'm still a sinner, even though I'm working through this. Instead, sometimes we, we look at God incorrectly. We judge him unfairly. And we look and say, you know what? I can't do that. And then we find ourselves angry at God instead of worshiping God. Instead of singing praises, we're like, I don't want to go to church today. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not going to praise God. I'm not giving him my tithe. I'm not going to witness and tell somebody about Jesus. All right, now I'm a pirate because I'm mad. You didn't know you turned into a pirate, right? When you get angry. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. What about us as adults? Everybody say, God is good. Our text says people are made right with God when they believe Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his own blood. People are made right with God when they believe, come on, when they believe that Jesus made us right by the shedding of his own blood. Do you know why a Christian could truly worship God? The point one, it's faith. The only way you'll ever be able to move through this life is when you get your faith off of you and you put your faith in your Savior. When you put your faith in the finished work of the cross, when you put your faith that the blood of Jesus washes you continually, beginning, middle, and end. Come on, somebody. You can move on when you understand that the blood of Jesus is what makes you right. It's the gift of God through Christ that makes you right with God. He declares you right. Do you realize no matter how good you tried to be, God wouldn't have declared you right had you not received his gift. You couldn't have done it. You could try all week long. I always tell people this and I I want you to think about it. I went through cancer. When they diagnosed me with cancer, I didn't go to my wife and say, honey, I I better try to be nicer. I better not, you know, I better not say bad words. I better fight this battle. I have more. I better go to church more. I got to be better. I got to be good so I can defeat this cancer. Heck no. I went to the hospital and said, what's up? You guys have a cure. I want the cure. I didn't try to figure out how I was going to try to make Mitch a better man. Ah, Mitch, better be better, better be better. If I'm good, if I'm good, I'll get rid of this cancer. So here's the thing. The wages of sin is death. Death came upon all men because of sin. All of us have been declared unrighteous. We've all been declared sinners. So here's here's the strange thing about mankind. Why then do we think we could take the worst disease of all, which is death, And by trying to act a little different or become a better person on the outside, that we can take the disease of death and cure it. 
The only way to cure the disease is you need the cure. Do you know what the cure of death is? Life. You need the injection of life. Jesus is, John 14, 6, the way, the truth, and the life. Our only righteousness is in faith in him. You do not have righteousness. I don't care. And it's the strangest thing. People get saved for a while, and it's weird. All of a sudden, they forget they're saved by grace through faith. And now their life, they're building it on works. I got to do this. I got and and they're freaking themselves out. So when they start seeing areas of their life God has to work on, they start backing up or they start being troubled or they start being angry at God or frustrated or feeling unworthy to pray. Come on. They don't feel like they should go out and witness because after all, I still got junk in my closet. Why should I tell others? Why should you tell others? Because your name's in the book of life. You might, you might on earth, your flesh still be, you know, dealing with some, you know, nasty. But the truth is, listen, the truth is at least you got the cure running through your veins. You're on your road to full recovery because when this mortal dies, it puts on immortality. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, this corruptible puts on incorruption. Come on, somebody. The cure for death is life. And it's funny how people live for God for a while. And then, then let's move to the other group. Those of you who are dealing with all this stuff and you want to be free, you've tried to be free, but you're still dealing with it. Listen to me, friend. The way to move on to the next level is when you could somehow bow your knee at this altar or an altar somewhere and say to God, I surrender. I, I've tried to overcome this. I've tried to do it, but I can't. I don't know what's wrong with me. So I look to you, Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. You started my faith. You called me to yourself. You washed me in your blood. I want to be different. And the only way I'm going to be it, I'm asking you to cure this death inside of me by life. True, true holiness, true holiness. Now think about this. People think holiness is, listen listen to me, some people think, okay, so you used to cheat or steal. So they think holiness is they just somehow, they control themselves, and now I don't cheat and I don't steal. Now listen, that's a good thing because you're probably going to end up in prison if you keep doing it. But true holiness is not because you quit something or you fought something. Do you know when you actually become holy? It's when somehow the Spirit of God has changed that area of your life so much that it, you don't even want to be it anymore. It's not even who you are. You're a new creation. That's holiness. And you can't just make yourself drum that up. It's through walking with God. It's through living with Him. It's through His Word living and dwelling in you. It's through hearing messages like this and then absorbing it and thinking and praying and meditating, letting the Spirit of God bring that into you, that revelation knowledge so that you can stand up when the devil says, oh, you're no good. You're, you know, you're no good. You're no good, baby. You're no good. And you could look at the devil and say, Yo, you're no good. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more. Because the pastor said he, you know, he's a song leader, so he sings everything, right? Here's, here's, here's the reality. The start of everything in the life we live is by faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. The word study for this substance 
is a word that literally has to do with substructures or foundations. Those of you who are builders know what that means, right? Your substructure or your foundation. You know, if your foundation's laid correctly, if you've done the work that you need to do to get the ground ready, come on, somebody. Then you lay that cement or your pier and beam. The house won't settle, won't float, won't break walls. Come on, somebody. Listen, now faith is the substance. It's the foundation. It's the substructure of your life. Faith, trust in somebody bigger, better, more powerful, more loving, more able than you. The substructure of our life, what we build everything on, has to start with the reality. I have been made the righteousness of God through Christ. If you cannot settle that issue, you're going to have a lot of time in your walk with God where you're angry, you're frustrated. You've got to settle that issue. You've got to come to grips. You are not good. You're going to have, listen, I preached a whole series called Bankrupt. How'd you like to come to my church? I'm telling everybody how bad they are. I took three weeks telling them how bad they were so I could show them how good God is so they could see how much God loves them so they could be good. They could be whatever God's in. I preached at this one pastor's church last year. He invited me to preach. And I, I told him, this was my starting words for those poor folks. They'd never met me before. I said, look at the person next to you and tell them God wants you dead. That poor pastor's looking at me like, oh, my God. That was the first time I preached there. He's like, oh, my God. Who did I have preached? And I said, no, no, tell them, tell them. And so I, I walked up to people in the church. I wanted to make sure they got it. I grabbed them on the shoulder, Jeremy, Jeremy and I'm going to tell you, God wants you dead. Did you know that? Really, he wants you dead. Just in, just in case you don't know, he wants Pastor Tim dead. He wants me dead. He wants you all dead. God wants you dead. Sounds like a mafia leader from Chicago now, doesn't he? What do I mean by that? He wants your old man dead so that Christ can live afresh in you so you could be a Christ-like person. So whether you like it or not, you got to die. Praise God. But you can't die and truly love God until you get it that you're truly saved by grace and through faith. And if you can't get that first part, you're going to put on a Pharisee show and you're going to act like a hardcore nut and you're going to treat others that you don't think are acting righteous with disdain and you're going, to, you're going to actually push people away from God instead of bringing them in. And then if you're on the other side of the court and you're dealing with all this junk and you, you're, you want to be free and you don't see this, then you, you so condemn yourself, you don't move on to perfection. Everybody with me? So we're going to move through, I have on my notes, Romans 5, 6 through 11 in the Message Bible, but for time's sake, if you would with me, move through this, okay? So the foundation of our faith is the finished work, and some would say amen. Now, some of you, some people have been taught that faith is too risky, that certainly faith, salvation, adoption, eternal life has to do something with me. Now, are you listening? Certainly, certainly adoption, salvation, eternal life has to have something to do with me. To simply put it, all my, all my life into Jesus, it just seems like it doesn't make sense. But yet I want you to listen closely. People say this stuff. I cannot believe. I can't believe like that, Pastor. What if, what if we're wrong? What if, what if we're wrong? Let me tell you something. Here's, here, listen closely to me. Please listen. 
What if you're wrong? How could you be wrong by trusting the one who said, trust me? How could you be wrong trusting the one that says that if you believe on him and the one that sent him, you'll be past John 5, 24, from death unto life, never to be brought into judgment? How could you be wrong putting your faith in the one who said he, that he, when it was told he was coming, he said he was going to save his people from their sins? Come on, somebody. It's strange how people think faith is too risky. Now, let me tell you, true works, and this, this is again, true holy works cannot come because you're trying to earn salvation. True holy works come because you are saved. That's where James says faith without works is dead. He's not saying that you have to do works to earn salvation. He's saying once you've got true salvation, you love God. It comes out of you. When you understand you are saved by grace, when you know you're truly washed, when you know you're declared right by God, I'm going to tell you what, you can sing, you can worship, because that morning you looked in the mirror, you remembered how not really good parts of you are. But yet you start thinking, oh my gosh, if it wasn't for the gift of God, if it wasn't for the goodness of God, I would be on my way still to hell. And only by His mercy am I going to heaven. And it makes you want to sing. It makes you want to tell people about Jesus. It makes you want to invest your gift into the body of Christ. I remember people used to say things like that. If God could use anything, He could use me. Back when I was first saved, they used to say that all the time. If God could use anything, he could use you. I love how he says it this way in the scripture, that God puts his treasure in Corinthians in earthen vessels. In other words, uh, you know, dirt containers. Earthen vessels, you know, dirt. A dirt jug. That's it. So all you dirt jugs out there, be happy. Glory to God. That's right. You can wear a shirt, juggle dirt, and happy. Hallelujah. Because inside me is the power of God. The resurrection power. Hallelujah. I'm okay with being juggle dirt. Because I know the righteousness of God inside me, and I love Him. I'm grateful to be a Christian. I want to give my life. I want to preach the gospel. Why? Because I am His child. Adopted, bought, paid for in full. Ooh, come on, somebody. Ooh, you're going to make me pull out the hand. If you don't feel safe, if you don't feel safe, you will try to do the things of God out of works of the law, and then you'll keep seeing yourself coming up missing, and it will just rub in the fact, fact that your heart's messed up, which the Bible already said, our hearts are deceitful. Somehow you've got to get this down. Get your faith in Christ. Okay, ready? Next one. The next part is point two, Abraham. Romans 4, verses 1 through 5. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, did you notice the term acceptable here? He would have had something to boast about, but that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham did what? And God counted or declared him as righteous because of his offering up Isaac. Because he left Haran into the desert. Because he went and rescued Lot, his not entirely bright brother-in-law. 
Come on. Everyone with me here? No, none of these. If, if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he could have. But that was not God's way. The scripture says Abraham believed God. And it was counted as righteousness because of his, what? When people work for their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people who are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. So here's what I want you to think of for a moment. We're not going to stay at this part long. Galatians 3.22. But the scripture declares, ever say the word of God, infallible, everlasting, right? Declare, the scripture declares that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's, everybody say promise, of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. And I want you to listen closely. It does not say promises. It says one promise. One promise. The foundation for all life is like that of Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted him righteousness. Abraham did all the works he did because when God told him, Abraham, if you trust me, I'll make you a father of many nations. I will do these things. And And the scripture says that Abraham declared plainly that he believed God. That he believed that he that said it was able to do it. So listen, listen, church, because this point's a short one. God says it's through one promise of being made right with God through faith. If you want your life to be valuable and powerful and you want to move on, just like Abraham, you want the true declared righteousness, lay aside all the stuff making you think it's through you and understand how awesome God's goodness is towards you. Understand that you could not even ever have the right, no matter how hard you tried, to step foot into heaven if it hadn't have been for what Jesus did. Understand this. Get it through your thick noggin. That you couldn't even have a right to pray. You couldn't have come boldly to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4.20. You couldn't have done any of these things had Christ not died for you and became your perfect sacrifice, the propitiation, the atoning victim. Of our sins. Put your life on that rock. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher. He started you. He'll finish you. Philippians 1, 6. He that began the good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Come on, is anybody with me here? You ought to give the Lord a shout. I declare to you that all faith, submission to God's will... Ability to change comes only when you build it on the foundation of this one promise. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Let me tell you why I do the works of God. How many want to know why I do the works of God? Why I'm going to do everything in my power to put away sin. I'm going to do my best to fight it. I'm going to try every day to let Christ live in me. But it's not to earn salvation. Does anybody want to know why? Because of 1995 baseball. That's why. 1995 baseball is why we all should do it. You kids are looking at me like, man, he's nuts. There's something wrong with that boy. Let me tell you why I'm saying that. Let me, let me explain it. Some of you will remember this. In the spring of 1995, there were no players available to play baseball. There was a lockout, a strike. The teams were losing money. The fans were mad. It was bad for people. The owners knew they were about to lose their shirts. Everything had went haywire in the baseball 
baseball fields of America. Make a long story short, everything went wrong. People were mad. Players wouldn't play. They couldn't cross the picket line. And the average player at that time, just, you know, it's not like today. They only made them easily million dollars a year. You know, nowadays it's 20 million a year and weird stuff like that. But so what happened was the owners of the team decided that they were going to go out and try to put together teams from players who once tried out for AAA ball or tried out for professional ball and didn't make it. These were the people that washed out. These were the people who couldn't make it to the big leagues. They, they might have wanted to, they tried to, but they didn't make it. They were washed out. Some of them at that time were coaches for little league teams. Some of them were doing just regular jobs. Some were teachers. Are you following me? But they, that's what they were because they were not good enough. Are you listening? To play in the big leagues. They couldn't do it. And, and they knew it. They were washed up. They went on. So what happened is the teams go out and they found these people who were not good enough to play in the big leagues and they gave them this opportunity. They said, listen, you know the strike's going on. The team we picked doesn't want to play. They want this. We can't give it to them. So this is what we're doing. We're going to give you a chance. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But we're asking you to step into the big leagues. I'm asking you to come and play for the team you always wanted to play for. Even though we know you don't have the goods in real life to do this. You've got a chance. Most of these people were offered only $5,000 to start for a year. Now you ready for this? Some of them got paid upwards of $100,000. Are, are you following this? They weren't even guaranteed that after training camp, they would be able to play full time. But according to history, something really weird happened. These guys came to work. They quit their jobs. They left everything and came to play because it was their dream all their life to wear the jersey of a major league baseball team. To walk out onto that field. Come on, with a diamond. Well, there were no diamond backs back then except in the desert. To wear that jersey, the Cardinals jersey, the Dodgers jersey, the San Francisco jersey, the Giants. They wanted to wear the jersey. They wanted to play for the big league. So they left everything behind and took that opportunity. Took the opportunity, some of them knowing that sooner or later the other players would get their job back. But they had hoped, what if I can get good enough that they keep me? What if I practice hard enough? And according to the story, what happened is these guys came to every day to practice. They were there early. They weren't like those professional guys like Jose Canseco who thought he was the god of baseball and made everybody nuts till finally they booted him. Come on. Or like football, our Terrell Owens. You know, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. So, you know, who every team he went to, he was one of the greatest players, but they couldn't put up with him. He made everybody nuts. He was a prima donna, so they just kept firing him. He could have been one of the greatest, but he was, he was nuts because he thought he was so good. These guys showed up every day for practice, and they came early, and they didn't complain when the coach told them, one more lap, one more time up those stairs. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And according to the reports, they ran. They did everything they were told. They didn't argue with their coaches. 
They went up and down. Why? Because they knew they were cut from the team. They knew they weren't good enough. So they listened to the instructions. They followed the instructor. They were happy just to show up and be on the team. They were happy, man. So what happened? What happened? Some of them got picked. The game started. At first, the crowds were very little because, the you know, the audience was mad, actually, at the scabs crossing the line and doing this. But they found out it was actually a lot of fun to watch these guys because they weren't professionals. They weren't the best. It was kind of like watching, you know, Little League with grown-up men. So people were going, and they started more and more started going to the games because it was like fun. But see, these guys didn't yell and cuss at the ump when they struck out. Man, they just laughed. They walked back, man, I'm going to do better next time. And they were there for batting practice earlier the next morning because they knew they struck out. They didn't get upset when they were called on an error. They just went to practice all the earlier. And according to the, the history, this is exactly what happened. How does this relate with you and I? Listen, the Bible says that we were grafted in. Israel was... God's chosen people, and God said he was going to save all of mankind. But you know why he chose Israel? Not because he liked Israel better than everybody else, but they were small. They had nothing to offer. They couldn't defeat anybody. God wanted to show the world there is only one God, one true king. Come on, somebody. And, and so he chose a people so he could show his power. Guys, listen, listen to me. We've been invited to the big leagues. God knows what he bought when he bought you. He knows the area of weakness. Did you know the Bible says God knows your beginning from your ending? In fact, the scripture says in Isaiah, he actually starts in the ending and works backwards. In other words, he knew your end when he called you. Wait a minute. And the middle in between. That means God knew what he purchased. He knew your ups, your downs, your lows, your goods. He knew your weaknesses. He knew your stats, your errors. Hello? Anybody with me? God, no, he knew what he bought. He didn't buy something and go, oh, dang, how that would slip in. (laughs) Jeez, man, we need to rethink this. Come on, get the angels down here. Boot that one. Listen, Listen closely. God knew what he purchased. Now, here's where it comes down. The reason we don't play on the team with every bit of energy we have Because some of you still don't see yourself as on the team. You don't see yourself with Team Jesus jersey. You don't see yourself as part of the body still. You still don't see it. And and that goes for the Pharisee as well as the one that's so broken. They just don't see. They, They feel disqualified. They don't see themselves wearing the jersey. But for us who know we are not good enough to play on this team, we show up to practice. Come on, somebody. We go to class. Come on, listen. We take notes in service. Amen. We listen to the instructor. We pray when he asks us to go to batting practice, we go to batting practice. We might not be the best, but listen, they asked me to play. I'm not the best preacher in the world. I know that. And man, you guys got it easy. I didn't tell you all my bad jokes. They're bad sometimes. Listen. I'm not the best player. I've had some real weaknesses in my life. I had junk I had to work through, but I'm going to tell you something. I love God. He saved me from death, eternal death. He washed me in his own blood. 
And so until the day I die, I'm going to come to the field to play as well as I can play. I'm going to give it my best shot. Not to earn, not to earn the right to be on his team, but because by love, he made me part of his team. I'm going to give everything I've got. And I'll tell you, those weak areas, that's why I'm going to do as Galatians says, five, and I'm going to confess my faults one to another that I might be healed. That's why I'm going to seek first the kingdom. That's why I'm going to study to show myself approved because I know, I know what God purchased. But I'm just happy to play on the team. So I'm going to do my study in the evening when others are not studying. I'm glad to be on the team. So I'm going to look what the roster says. I'm going to look at the plays we're supposed to play. Come on, somebody. Because I'm on the team. I'm wearing Team Jesus. Come on. At our our church, when I preached the series on this, we had a shirt made that said on the front, the misfits. Because we're the misfits, man. But on the back, it says Team Jesus. I might be a misfit outside of him, but I've been brought into the family. Listen, out in this room, I'm going to tell you clearly, all of you are misfits. Those who think you're not, I pray today God lets you see and humble yourself again to realize it's only grace that you're sitting here. You need to humble yourself and worship God. Listen, you know why people cause division and problems in church? Pride. Pride. It's arrogance. They, don't care. they forget to care about people, to care about the team. They start, it's all about them. Okay, Jose, Canseco. You do that again, we're calling you Terrell. Amen. They forget they're on the right team. They're on what team they're on. Amen. How many know it takes a team to win the world? You can't do it through one person. I don't care how great the coach might be. You're not going to touch this whole city through one man. You're not going to touch the world through a man. But you can touch the world through a body of Christ that understand they've been bought and they play on that team with gladness. Come on, somebody. Let's, let's give the Lord a shout. If you receive this, Faith Abraham in 1995 baseball. Let's, let's bow our heads. God bless you. God bless you. You're very welcome, baby. God bless you. So here we are, the first thing and the most important thing there is. You came in here today. You might not understand everything, but you don't know for a fact you're born again that you've been washed in the blood of Jesus. The good news is, is this is what God tells us to do. Our number one job as a church is to bring to you the gospel, which means good news. The bad news is, is all are dead because of sin. You don't need to try to be better. You need a cure for death. People fight drugs, alcohol, sexual things. They fight anger. They fight all these things. And they say, you mean I'm not going to heaven because of this or that? And I have to tell them all the time, no, that's not why you're not. All those are is effects of something. Those are just effects. An apple tree grows apples because it's an apple tree. Dead people birth death because they're dead. And the only cure for death is life. God had to come in his own self in the flesh. Jesus, the Son of God, is God come in the flesh. He came here because he was the only one who could take death, sin upon himself, go to hell with it, pay the righteous judgment of God for death, and rise up in new life. 
come back to life alive and then be able to declare us righteous because of what he himself paid for. That's why the scripture says God is fair and he is just because God created us. He put us on this planet. He doesn't want you to perish, so he made a way through his own self for you to go to heaven based on his merits, not on yours. Today you have an opportunity to receive that gift. The Bible says it's a free gift. It's not of works, lest anyone can boast. It is a gift. And it's a free gift. All who call on the name of the Lord, he says, shall be saved. Now listen to this. Jesus said, all that come to him, he will in no way cast out. He won't, the other term, actually, the Greek for that means he will not reject you. He won't stamp you rejected. If you come to him, he will not stamp you with rejected. He will receive you to himself. That's amazing. And that's why Romans 5, 8 says God's, God proved his love toward us that although we were still sinning, Christ died for us. And listen, this is a scripture. I, I just love these scriptures. So all that receive him, he gives you the power to be the sons of God. You cannot be a child of God by trying to be. You've got to receive the right power source. You have to receive the right one and only receiving God himself. That's why other religions can't work. That's why trying to be good can't work. That's why trying to beat karma, do enough good works to make karma happy with you. Can't work. Because you can't cure death by trying to do good things. The only cure for death is life. And today, the scripture makes clear, today is the day of your salvation. The day you hear this message and the light starts going on and you feel the polling of God to come to Him, this is the day God chose for you to know Him. You could reject it, you could turn it down, but the question would be why? He has knocked on your door today and He said to you, I love you. I know you're dead. I know that you've broke my commandments, but I love you. I've made a way for you. Will you come and play on my team? Will you let me make you my child? Will you let me change you from the inside out? Will you let me wash you of all your sin so now my Holy Spirit could actually live inside you? You could be born again. New creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, new creation means something that never before existed in the Greek. It means it never before existed. Isn't that awesome? So you might be ashamed of everything you are. You might feel disqualified. And I want to tell you, that's the best thing you can feel right now. Get it through your head. You are disqualified. You don't deserve this. You do deserve hell. But that's not where God wants you. He loves you. And he's made a way. So all that receive him. So the question then remains is this last statement. Will you quit resisting God? That's where the word repent comes in. People say repentance is trying to be better, do good work. The word repent in the Greek and the Hebrew have nothing to do with that. It means to change your mind, change your thinking. Instead of running from God and fighting against God, bow your knee and receive God. That's repentance. Are you tired of living in death? Would you receive this beautiful gift? Would you come play with me? on Team Jesus. 
Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.